This episode of Bad Associations briefly mentions sexual assault and suicide, which may be upsetting to some. Listener discretion is advised. Hello, everyone. Thanks for joining us again. Today, I will be chatting with Alex. So for this episode, me and Alex had a bit of a scheduling issue. When we first met up, we didn't have as much time as we initially planned. So we ended up having to schedule like a part two. So with that said, at the beginning of part one, we were already on the phone call. So we figured why not start the story? Alex did start off with asking me a couple questions about the podcast, which I had full intention on editing completely out because it was just kind of sidebar. Then I felt like, meh, I'm gonna leave it in. Why may you ask? Well. I felt like I should leave it in to explain to the listeners a little bit more of why I think this podcast is so special, why I think all of us joining together and sharing our stories is unique. As I said in the intro of this podcast, there are lots of podcasts in general. There are also lots of documentaries in general about cults, true crime, et cetera, et cetera. And I didn't feel like there was a situation off of Reddit, that is, where it was just about Jehovah's Witnesses. And that's why I started this pod. I felt like my explanation with Alex goes a little deeper into the specifics of how I got to this idea and how I compare this podcast to anything else you would see on the television. So I'm going to leave it in there. You also may notice after we meet up again, we jump back and we talk about things that he mentions at the beginning of the episode where he didn't have as much time to go into full detail of what he meant. In my opinion, it's still super easy to follow. You shouldn't have any issues, but I figured because it is a unique circumstance, I'd give you a heads up. Thanks again for listening. Here's Alex. Any questions for me before I ask you my starter question? Because I only have one. Um. Yeah, I, I want to learn about you and then what, what made you do this. The Sorry, pod? From a, yeah, yeah. I'm just, I've, I've thought about podcasting. I've been on a couple other episodes before and I'm trying to think about my own activism yeah. as an apostate. Ooh, so I'm just word. curious to learn, to learn your, how, how you got to this point. Um, I started listening, uh, once I got, you know, after years of therapy, I felt comfortable like watching documentaries or podcasts about like other cults. And mm-hmm. there are podcasts that do talk about Jehovah's Witness, but it's like intermingled. Not every episode is about that. And mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I just thought, where's the podcast that's not a blog. Cause I don't, I don't have time to sit down and read a blog. Um, mm-hmm. not an Instagram because I'm already an Instagram aholic and I really should be getting off the gram. I shouldn't be on there any more than I already am. And so mm-hmm. I just kept looking for what this podcast is. I didn't want it to be, cause that was the other thing I did. I, there are some podcasts that are solely about leaving the cult, but it's like two people telling their story over and over and over or yep, educating yeah. other people on what happens in there and that's also not something i need i don't we don't need to be taught what happens in there we were in there we were already in there yeah so i don't need you to talk about like the faithful and discreet slave i got it covered from there you know and so i kept looking for this i want to talk to other people i want to hear other people um and so i was like forget it i'll just do it myself (laughs) That's, that's really remarkable and i really agree that like I'm happy that we're getting some representation of things like the Scientology mm-hmm. TV show or documentaries. Yes. Like, I'm happy when I mention Jehovah's Witnesses now. Sometimes people are like, ooh, sorry. Like, they're Such at least somewhat aware that it's not a good thing, right? 
um, because growing up, everybody thought they were the nice people who were knocking on their door. But I agree, there still isn't a lot of like content for us, by us, that's really shedding like first-person experiences mm-hmm. in the cult. Yeah. And even like you meant the Leah Remini Scientology episode where she interviews Jehovah's Witnesses. And the amount of times I thought, how did she settle on these specific people? Like, I just feel like there's never enough, there will never be enough space or time to get enough people. And I just thought, right, of course. What it, yeah, like that one episode, that one documentary, that one interview is never going to be with like what 12 people yes right and i mean and i'm sure those 12 people like those 12 people are had very relatable stories of course and but Mm -hmm. even on the idea on the other hand just devil's advocate here that they people like you know abc or hulu or whatever they're going to pick the most graphic fucked up story that they can find Mm -hmm. because it grabs the Mm -hmm. audience and okay touche it happens and it's real and they deserve, you know, a mm-hmm. spotlight and a, you know, that platform. But I also- That's certainly kinda, not the most common experience. Yeah. And I kind of, I struggle with the, the mentality that the only time you should judge a cult is if someone's getting abused, like mm-hmm. physically, tangible. like you, we can put something, an image on the screen where this person has a black eye. We can show you the police report where this person was sexually assaulted. And that's why you shouldn't support this cult. No, mm-hmm. no, it's it's not just like the horrible things. It's also just like the, the smaller things where you were, mm-hmm. you have PTSD because you're constantly thinking about life, death and Armageddon. No, that's not mm-hmm. sexual assault, but it's still really fucked up that at five years old, you could be thinking about that. You can argue that it's almost like a bang for your buck type situation. Mm-hmm. Like you said, not that those extreme situations shouldn't be getting attention, but it's like if you had to sit down a hundred people, far more people are gonna identify with those experiences mm-hmm. than they are the extreme experiences. And I feel like there's a lot of work to be done in helping people who are still in the cult or people who are like maybe maybe they're fellowship but they never really stop believing. There's a lot of space that needs to be carved out for those people to just hear someone else who looks like a normal person who's not a drug addict who's intended to tell us. Yeah. You know, like just seeing a normal person be like, yeah, this happened and this is how it affected me. Yeah, exactly. So that's what this whole this whole podcast is about was I want all the stories, the good, the bad, the highs, the lows, the ones where you're like, mm, it wasn't really the cult. It was more my family that was fucked up, but the cult didn't mm-hmm, help. Mm-hmm. Like all of it. I used to always tell people I was raised half in the truth, half out. That's not entirely true because I was indoctrinated from my youth and it just happened that half of the time I was living with a parent who wasn't practicing but I still fully believed from as literally as long as I can remember um so my parents my dad met my mom when she was recently reinstated she'd had me out of wedlock at like 17 um and so I when my dad met my mom she was a ministerial servant former Bethelite you know, a spiritual rock star. He came into the truth when he was 18 in 1988. 
And my dad was one of those like super success stories because prior to the witnesses, he was like literally a criminal, literally in jail, fighting cops, drugs, long hair, satanic panic, the whole thing. So I'm sure they um, showed him off. Oh, and yeah, and then he, you know, showed up to the meeting the first time. I'll always say he was wearing like a Slayer shirt with the sleeves cut off and combat boots and long hair. And the first time he raised his hand to comment on something, the brother said, the sister in the black shirt. Oh my God. <laughs> and my dad, and my dad answered, the, answered the microphone, I'm, like, I'm a dude. Uh, and then, <laughs> and then answered from the Bible. And so, yeah, I, we were all like, my family has always been very proud of my dad's story because on the surface, it seems like, like a hallmark Christian moment, you know, like. Yeah literally found Jesus turned around your life I don't want to be a criminal anymore um and went on to succeed because like I said it was the early 90s and it was the early 90s and he's an attractive uh white man who's in great shape so of course he got shipped right off to New York went to Bethel minister also a pioneer the whole nine met my mom recently reinstated and myself and where did he meet her um he was with a group of witnesses visiting atlanta because they're from central florida my mom is from uh she had me near atlanta and it was just like let's go visit the local congregation and like go to the springs or something and that's how they met and then he like went to their kingdom hall, met me, and like fully found him up. Oh. Yeah, it's, it's very cute. It should be very cute. The JW Hallmark card. Right, yeah. And, and they were married for eight years. They had my half-sister um, when I was three. And I mean, they just had the typical JW relationship when you get married at 19 and 24. Um, which is to say my dad was drinking, my mom was sleeping with her coworkers. My dad was trying to maintain privilege in the congregation and resenting my mom, thinking that she was the reason he wasn't. Um, lots of arguing, all that fun stuff. So my mom finally left him and they got a divorce when I was around 10 or 11. And then my mom moved to Jacksonville, Florida, which is about two hours north of where we were living at the time in Central Florida. And so I lived from the age of like 10 to 18, um, literally weekdays with my mom, who's not a witness, weekends and summers with my dad, who is fully a witness. and so I lived like a very dual life. Um, my mom was a single mom with two kids, working three jobs and going to college, the whole thing. And so like, she wasn't home a lot. So I kind of did whatever I wanted when I was a teenager. When I was at my mom's house, you know, I was cursing, I had worldly friends. I was kissing girls. I was just being a hood rat. And um, at my dad's house, we are on the surface, the ideal family. Like I've been giving talks since I was like six, like 
my sister gave great tolerance. My dad was constantly being evaluated for ministerial servant or elder, and then something would happen and he would lose it. And then like, that's kind of been his cycle his whole life. Like, at least since he's been a witness, it's been like almost the elder, and then like something crashes and burns, and he tries it again five years later. So that's all he wants to do. Um, my dad lives and breathes the hierarchy and the corporate of the witnesses. When he um, it, when he loses it, is it because of his own doing, or is it because of like the Kingdom Hall's politics? Oh, so many or? things. So many things. There's been Kingdom Hall politics. There's been his own drinking. There's been me getting in trouble. That was like three different times. He was close and then lost it because I got in trouble. Um, and then when he married his second wife, he actually got the fellowship and he was out for like a year and a half. Um, for marrying and, her? Uh, yes, it was, it was the first time I ever was exposed to the two witness rule. So basically she had left her abusive husband with who was abusing her and her child and they had been separated for literally years. He, they lived entirely different parts of the state. He was known to have a girlfriend the whole nine. Um, she was trying to be, like let the elders show her as scripturally free, but she could never prove that she had had him, that her ex-husband had had other partners because she had no contact with him because he was beating the shit out of her and her kid. Um, and so when they, were dating the elders were telling my dad like you really need to back off she's not sexually free and my dad's like what are you talking about like she literally hasn't been in the same room as this man in like five years and the elders doubled down and my dad didn't like that and what it finally came down to was they had security footage from a hotel in south florida that showed her ex-husband going into a hotel room with a girl and staying overnight Seems good enough but for in me. Their mind, in their mind, a security camera doesn't count as a witness. Oh my God. So the hotel clerk, or the hotel person who provided the security footage said, I saw them. That's only one person. So they got married and they got the fellowship for it. <sighs> when I was 14. And at this point, my dad, my dad was the only one in the church. My mom was fully out celebrating um holidays dating dating other men you know like she was living her life good for her um and then so i would be like at my mom's house basically not a witness at my dad's house i'm having to have friends pick my sister and i up for the meetings and for service um while my dad is now in this new relationship with this woman who turned out to be uh, an incredibly abusive narcissist um, and so that was like 14 to 16 for me. How did but you juggle dad, the doing field service, but when you go to school, you're living a completely different like persona? Um, I, I fully believed that I was living a double life and I felt guilty for that every second of the day. Um, I remember when I got baptized. And I was 13 because everyone around me was being baptized. I felt like I was late. Right. I wanted to. Um, and my mom was telling me not to. And I wish I would have listened to her. But um, 
when I did that, I remember that convention, they were, they had a talk about double life. And it like, the paradigm between, or I should actually say the dichotomy between me sitting there, my hair is still wet. And then the person from the platform is like actively blasting anyone who lives any kind of double lifestyle at school or work. That was like a core memory for me. Mm, so like, to uh, answer your question, to answer your question, I just believed that I was a bad person five days a week. And I was secretly a bad person 24 seven. It's just that I was able to, out of the sincereness of my heart, really genuinely, sincerely, put on my front and go to the meetings and go out in service and be an auxiliary pioneer in all of these things. So that, that's how I juggled that for so many years. You truly did believe it, but yet you were also just 100%. like, you know, utilizing the opportunity to live that double life when you were at your mom's. Right, and, and I don't even think, it felt compulsory to me. It didn't feel like it was on purpose because I'm, I was always an extrovert. I, I couldn't live my life without being surrounded by friends and people who I enjoy being around. And so I, my mom wasn't going to meetings. I wasn't gonna just sit at home, so I made friends with kids at school. And I did what they did, and I felt guilty the entire time, but I also enjoyed it. And so I don't even think I necessarily was justifying it to myself as much as I was just compartmentalizing and code switching. Yeah, code switching is spot on, yeah. Yeah, remind me at some point to talk to you about my theory about how we can draw parallels between children of immigrants and Jehovah's Witnesses, people raised Jehovah's Witnesses, because yeah. a lot of the language is identical. I mean, like, the experience of I'm one way with my family at home, and they don't like it, but I'm actually a different way with my friends at school. That's a very clear, thorough line between both first-generation immigrants and uh, people raised a witness. And I happen to be both, so that's how I know that so well. Yeah, I listened to a really good podcast talking about that experience, and it was so stark how much I identified with those things. Mm -hmm. um, but the person was describing the experience of being raised Indian in Atlanta. You know, like, ah. it, not my experience at all, and yet still identical. Interesting. Even yeah. down to like, even down to like, we listen to different music in my house. I'm not allowed to listen to outside music in the house. Right. It's, it's, it was very, very stark. It was very cool. How did your sister feel? Like the same as you or different? It's, it's hard to say. My sister, I don't know that she bought into it until much later and that's been the weird paradigm between my sister and I like I fully believed it my sister didn't get baptized until she was 16 or 17 and we were like pressuring her um my when I was 15 I decided I wanted to try to take the truth seriously so I stopped traveling back and forth and I started going to school um, in Central Florida where my dad lived so I could make my weeknight meeting. And my sister stayed. My sister stayed doing the back and forth with my mom right up until she graduated high school. Um, my sister always had a much stronger relationship with my mom than I did. Um, and so when my sister got reinstated, we had a great relationship for a brief period of time. And then I got this fellowship about a year later and she has not had any contact with me since. 
And I mean, it's probably because I did the same thing to her. We did the same thing to my mom growing up, at least partially. Like we had, we, we had had so many friends and family to fellowship throughout our life that we just knew the protocol. And I didn't realize that until I was on the other side of it. But there's also, there was also always exceptions. Like, like I said, I was much more hard on my mom when she was a fellowship. My sister wasn't. Um, we both still have had friends that have been to fellowships throughout the years we kind of keep contact with and like we just kind of don't say anything and so I don't want to make it seem like my sister's just really really good at following the rules because we have another friend who is extremely out and extremely disfellowshipped in in ways that like people in the congregation probably wouldn't even recognize them now and my sister still fully has a relationship with that person talks to them on the phone all the time so I wonder what's the difference. Why the exception in that rule? It's it's just because it's family. But your family. I don't know. Yeah, no, that's what I mean. I, I think the rules are harder hard. when you're family. Right, right. That's very backwards. It is. You think so? Yeah, but that's how my family was raised. I mean, that's how I was. You know, it's like you you show the toughest love to the people who you want to come back the most. You know, I didn't, I didn't return my mom's all the texts for literally like two or three years when I was a teenager. Um, crazy, like things that I now look back on and, and I'm so ashamed that I treated another person like that. Um, and that's how they're treating me now, so. Ugh. There was a very core teaching, at least in my region of the witnesses, spiritual and the least spiritual and the most so it's the interpretation of like okay so the literature might say that you should do it this way but if you really have faith you'll take it to the next degree the fuck i've never heard that i'm being i'm being i'm being 100 serious so like the, the literature will never say that you can't watch uh, a specific list of movies right Right. They say, don't watch rated R movies, and then from there, it's up to your conscience. But I knew witnesses who would say, we need to be interpreting that as, well, if we're going to let our bible trained conscience direct us, then we shouldn't be watching anything that isn't from the witnesses. Mm. That's how the elder body and the uh, community in the area like, really pushed um, aggressive compliance with anything the doc, the, that the watchtower put out. And basically, we kind of viewed it as so fucked up that we had this understanding, but we still didn't get it. Um, we viewed it as like, of course the, the society can't, you know, make a list that would get them in trouble, right? But like, we know what they really need is don't watch anything that's like that. Which is so fucked up because it means that we're admitting that the, the branch has a political game to play. Like a legal political game to play where it's like, okay, we can't be that harsh on people or they'll start suing us. And yet we still fully believe though that the harshest interpretation of that was the correct one. In my house, and this wasn't like our whole congregation because they're definitely, or region, there definitely were uh, friends of mine that were allowed to do or watch or wear certain things that I was not and vice versa. 
but mm -hmm. within my household specifically um it was not the mindset of well the organization can't list those things out because they'd be sued my parents had a mentality of like they can't list everything out because then people would say well this specific movie wasn't listed so it's fine mm -hmm. so they mm -hmm. thought of more loophole. of a yeah, yeah loophole they're like they can't list it all out because people will were will hold it like it's bible and that it there's no right. wiggle room and so my parents thought of like okay well we know witchcraft is wrong we know curses are wrong premarital sex is wrong abortion is wrong etc 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 based on all the other teachings so one plus one mm -hmm. and so from that point there was were massive amounts of television shows movies including children movies right. like disney that I did not watch until I was like, until like maybe the last few years where I got around to it. I was like, you know, I haven't watched that movie before. Let me watch it. Yeah, I, I definitely, I definitely heard similar arguments. You know, the arguments of like principles versus laws was another frequent one that came up. Like, you know, laws are for stupid people, principles are for adults. So, <laughs> you know, the branch isn't going to tell you exactly how to live your life. It's up to you to be an adult and make those decisions. But let's make it clear if you make the wrong decision you will face consequences <laughs> like right. even though it's not directly written just so we know um and yeah but the that's the thing that's so funny about all of this there's always like weird exceptions right so like my dad wouldn't let me play call of duty but we played halo because of science fiction they're not real wars and people it's aliens you know, like, oh my god, what a allowed... stretch! <laughs> I know, right? But like, my dad's a huge fantasy nerd. We played Dungeons and Dragons, we watched Lord of the Rings, we watched Harry Potter. We just weren't allowed to show that stuff to anybody. We had to hide it all away because of the consequences. It, it, it's, it's crazy that, like, there were some things that we were so liberal and we stretched so far just to make it okay, and other things we were like dead set drinking off. Like, don't, there's no wiggle room on this. And, and I, it's just mind boggling to look back on mm -hmm. that amount of compartmentalization. And that's, and that's the fact of the cult, right? Like, that's how deep the psychological controlling goes to where it doesn't even make sense when you say it out loud. And yet you still fully <laughs> believe it. Yeah. I can't remember the book. What's the book for um, Thursday night meeting? Oh my God, there's so many. Uh, uh, is it reasoning from the scriptures? Is that what I'm thinking of? I think that's what I'm thinking of. Basically, like how the, you do not even allow yourself to get into conversation with logical people. Oh, yes, the reasoning book. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Because yeah, it would get you to a certain, yeah, and, of like in rebuttals yeah. and whatnot. And it would get you yep. to a certain point in the convo. And then, of course, like, you know, everyone's doing their presentations at Thursday night meeting of like, here's what to say mm -hmm. when you're out in field service or at work and mm -hmm. da da da. But the reality is, is that if you really talk to someone at work and, and have that topic, there would be at some point that they would say something to you so just reality and logical that you wouldn't right, have a right. rebuttal prepared. Right. We were taught that's when you stop the conversation. Exactly. Like it's so sad. It's so <laughs> exactly. sad that like, and, and this is certainly something that's, that's gotten worse, I think, over the years. Like when I was growing up, I don't know how I don't know how old you are, but I know when I was growing up, like the witnesses were taught, like they were debaters. They were like, my dad had an exhaustive concordance on the bookshelf. We would learn the Greek translation for scriptures just to prove 
Trinitarians and other people wrong. Like, Ugh. it used to be a, exhausting. A, a smart boys club of what it was supposed to be. And now it's like, I, I feel so cheated because I know if I would have been in the exact situation I'm in right now, which is just fellowship and debating my family, if this would have happened 20 years ago, I would have got them because they were in that mindset. Now my mom, when I try to debate with her, her first reaction was never speak to me about this again because that's what the branch has taught her to say. You don't debate with people anymore. You don't entertain anything. You don't Google anything. If someone says something that's contrary to the governing body or to, the, or to what they perceive to be Jehovah, shut it out immediately. And, and my mom is just stuck there. Even though she's and, out of the cult, she still thinks that way? Oh, no, 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 my mom. <laughs> we crossed over, actually. It was kind of funny. So I got the fellowship four years ago. Mm -hmm. um, and my mom got this, my mom got reinstated no. about a year after I got out. Yep, yep. Because, and I, I fully take, I fully take the blame for this. My sister and I pressured her for so long to get reinstated that when she finally started making meetings again, and then we started having interaction with her again on account of her making meetings. Right. Because it was like, hey, you're trying to come back. That so he's a reward, fully, yeah. She fully dove in. She, she fully started to lead again, started studying the whole nine. She'd been out for 20 years. Uh, 20 no. years. And she fully dove right back in as I'm in the process of dying out. It's the, it's the sickest irony I could imagine. Oh, that's so disappointing. Oh. I, and, I, and the disappointment was even more profound because it occurred to me when this happened, because I would talk to my mom before she ever reinstated, we had a couple of good conversations. And it occurred to me that she never actually stopped believing. Oh. My mom, and this is, this is when I feel so bad for her, she literally spent 20 years thinking that she was a bad person who was hurting her family. 100% believed it. And so when it came time to come back, as it were, it just clicked right back in. Yeah, easy. Never, yeah. There was no, there was no question of doctrine. There was no question of should we really do this. There was no question of let me explore other religions. Let me ask philosophy questions. None of that. There was no critique done. And so now I just look like the crazy apostate child. Naturally. Because yeah. I'm the one asking questions when my mom spent 20 years very deliberately not asking questions. She must have had her head completely in the sand because I mean, uh -huh. it's, I think I'm, I'm 31. So I wasn't alive during those olden days, but I imagine that before in, you know, internet, Instagram, TikTok, all these things that we have access to now podcast, mm -hmm. it would be, I would think very easy to get to fellowship and be like, Oh God, I got to get back there because you right? had, I mean, no, other than absolutely. if you went to like your public right. library and knew where to begin, It'd be really hard to be like, no, these Joe's Witnesses don't have a fucking clue. But now it's like, how the hell can you miss it? It's everywhere. Right. Right. No, I totally agree. And that's actually why I feel so excited about the internet. I feel so excited about the activism that we're happening because you're totally right. If I would have been to fellowship even 10 years ago when I was 18, I still probably didn't have the 
internet savvy and like the, the way to find people in community in the internet to really even ask those questions to even yeah. like know what to search and now it's just everywhere you're right it's, it's almost impossible not to to think about those things and I just really think it was just the worst timing my mom has never been a big social media person my mom has her friends at work who know not to talk about religion and that's it that's it no she's in a protective bubble yeah and and while she was out she dated a man for 12 years and then finally when it finally came down to it that the only reason she wasn't reinstated was because she was living with a man she wasn't married to they got married which is great he's a, he's a great man i'm very happy that she's with him but now she resents him because he's not a witness which is so unfair never has been mm-hmm. yeah yep and now it's actively hurting their relationship from what i'm perceiving on the outside it has to be mm-hmm. on account of my mom is living with the daily guilt that she married a non-believer and i know that guilt because i've seen it plenty of times in the congregation absolutely so i i lived that double life for so long and i was pretty much constantly on a cycle of getting in trouble and then getting privileges again and then getting in trouble and so when i finally like snapped it was because i had gone to therapy and i thought i was a sex addict even though i was a virgin I thought I was a sex addict because I couldn't stop watching porn. And the witnesses convinced me that the only reason I never got special or ministerial service was because I was watching porn. And I was honest about it. Mm. And so I To the elders, right? Thinking, Not to like others in the congregation. Yeah. Gotcha. Right, yeah. I went to therapy thinking I've got to handle on this. I have every website blocked on my phone. I don't have access to internet on any of my devices and this is still having this is still a problem. I'm obviously a broken bad person who needs to go to therapy to get there. I went to therapy and within two sessions we figured out that I had been sexually abused and that was why I had the fixation and then the whole thing unraveled right in front of me because it occurred to me that not only was the person who I who abused me abused dozens of other people over years in and out of the congregation um that person was only convicted whenever he abused people who were not witnesses <laughs> whose parents were like fuck, fuck this dude yeah <laughs> he went to jail i never had an interaction with him again and then he and then he passed away a few years ago and so it occurred to me that like wait a minute i'm not a bad person I'm actually a pretty predictable series of events like you expose a child to that kind of trauma at that age and this kind of circumstances they're probably going to have some issues with sex and relations for the rest of their life. Absolutely. When I realized that, I then realized, well, if I know this, Jehovah knows this, right? And so, therefore knows your heart, knows your situation. So therefore knows that I can't control this. So wait a minute. This whole time these people have been telling me that I need to go to control this and I know that Jehovah would have required that of me. So that was enough to make me at least snap. I fooled around with the goal at work, told the elders about it, walked out of the kingdom hall the day to disfellowship me. I downloaded every dating app that I had access to. Love it. And I fully lived my hope phase. Um, <laughs> but then, and I, I, I do have to go soon, unfortunately. Oh, right, right. The, the crazy thing was, I 
still kind of believe for about two years. I basically believe that like, this is the truth, but the elders in the governing body are just wrong about these few things. And eventually I'm gonna come back. I, I even broke up with a girl one time, partially on account of the fact that she didn't want her kids to be exposed to the witnesses. That's fucked up. And she was a great person and I really regret that. And I started to feel the abandonment wound and the trauma of leaving started to hurt more and more. And I kept doing research and being like, what is going on here? And then I connected with a friend of mine who's been out for many years, who has completely turned around her life and she's in an amazing place. She's one of my best friends. And all she did was tell me, you need to Google abandonment wounds because that's what this is. And I was like, okay. Abandonment wounds led to organizational trauma, led to cults, led to the XJW subreddit, led to me doing like all the academic research as to why this is not just a controlling cult religion, it's also just like made up and like fucking based on half facts and bad history. Yep. And I discovered, I realized that a year ago and it like fully clicked in my brain. And I immediately started trying to get my family out and I'm still doing that as we speak. This is just for my context. Um, what is the age gap between you and your sister? My sister and I are almost three years apart. Um, like two years of constant change. And you're, you had said that your dad remarried when you were like 14 or 16, 14 to 16, around mm-hmm. that age. Did, yeah. I may have missed it, but she was also a Jehovah's Witness, right? Because she had the ex Correct. that was a Jehovah's Witness that she left, right? Correct, yeah, yeah. And so, and she had a child who was six years younger than me. So we were all three years apart and we all lived together um, from the time I was 14 through 18, uh, or 19. And your dad is still with her and she's still in the organization as well? No, no, actually, no. They divorced when I was about, uh, 19. Um, she left. She's not a witness anymore. Um, we haven't seen her child, our former stepbrother, in years, um, yeah, no, I mean, zero contact. And as, as far as I understand it, she uh, has nothing to do with the organization anymore. She had a fellowship when she left. Um, I don't think she was reinstated. That wasn't at all a revelation for your dad or like a pause for him of like to question what no. he's in? No, no, man, he's... <laughs> I, I don't understand it. I mean, their relationship was its own horrible thing. Um, very codependent, very toxic for both of them, lots of addiction problems and things like that. And so I think I can give my dad the benefit of the doubt that he had a lot more on his plate to think about and to process coming out of that weird marriage than unfortunately left. He didn't really have any room to like think about anything else. Mm. Um, yeah. Do your dad and mom talk? No, not really. No. And and I don't remember if I mentioned, but my dad also left the fellowship when he married his second wife. 
That's right, because um, she wasn't they were scripturally free. Correct. Yeah, yeah. She well, scripturally free with massive quotation marks. It was, you know, you know, I actually found out I want to finish it one day. They actually recently changed the elders book uh wording on that. Um, and so if the same situation would have happened now, he would have been fellowship. <laughs> Uh, you know, I, I've talked about yeah, that before, about when rules change, how a part of you wants to be like happy that other people are not going to go through what you did. But at the same time, mm-hmm. you're really burnt because you're like, that really screwed up my life for a minute there. Or, you, you know, you yeah. may even still be actively, you know, let's say you're someone that believes in it and you're currently trying mm-hmm. to get reinstated and then the rules change can you imagine being that person where you're like well why am i fighting oh tooth and nail yeah. to get in when the rules have exactly. changed that must be yep. tough yep yeah it's unbelievable and the, the thing that makes me the most sad about that is the elders always hold the whole attitude and repentance thing over us so much so yeah. i'm willing to bet that if that happened they'd be like well you're still not showing your repentance attitude you're still not showing respect for the arrangements, so we're going to need you to stay out for another whatever year, two, who cares? Yeah, rather than just admitting that like we were being obnoxious when we made that rule in the first mm-hmm. place, it would be, well, at the time that you broke the law, it was, it's the whole thing, you know, mm-hmm. with marijuana being legalized throughout the country right now. It's right. like, we still have people that are incarcerated for doing something that now is legal. It's like, well, at the time that you did it, it was illegal so shame on you when it's like you acknowledge right. it, it's dumb that's why it's legal now <laughs> right right and it really it, it, that's a really good parallel because basically what it comes down to and i think this is what the elders and the governing body kind of like sit on is it's this whole idea that it's actually not that important whether or not you're following biblical principles it's whether or not you're showing what they view as respect yeah and humility basically blind compliance yes sir sorry sir um that's that's what they expect it's not actually about whether or not you did the thing that supposedly was or was not wrong by someone's interpretation of a very old book yeah (laughs) a very old book that's correct yeah you i think when we cut off um you were talking about um the current situation with your mother. Um, you had also mentioned that you have been to therapies, you know, before kind of like it kind of mm-hmm. led you to your revelation as well as like your you exiting. Um, ha- mm-hmm. Did therapy help at all or has helped you at all with the fact that your mom's now in and you're now out? Um, I have not been able to really dive into that yet with my therapist, unfortunately. We're still in the middle of like, um, because I just got a whole new one when I moved here. So we're right. still in the middle of like day session four of like just backstory. <laughs> yes, <laughs> like been I there. actually asked my therapist to watch the uh, um, the Crusaders documentary on Vice just for like more context. And we actually haven't been able to meet again since. So I'm excited to see what they thought of it. Uh, tell me about that because I don't know anything about that. Oh, it was a documentary on Vice. Um, it's on YouTube. It's totally free. Um, it was written from the perspective of some of the people on the XCW Reddit in like the earlier heydays of it a few few years ago, um, up to a an account where two publishers broke into a kingdom hall and stole a bunch of records from the elders, which included like horrible accounts 
of child sex abuse all down to the letter. Um, and it's just the authority. Um, and so it, it's a bit dated now, um, but just barely. It's still a great documentary. And it really dives in and vices true fashion of like, we're going to get into the nitty gritty of this. Um, it's, it's, I would describe it as the more adult version of the Scientology episode on the witnesses. And it's about an hour long. Okay. Um, I will definitely watch that with uh, probably some wine, but I will. It's, it's good. It's I'll good. put it it's in. Also, I mean, you know, definitely strong trigger warning for everybody, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's great. I am. And I really respect Vice for putting that out there, especially for free on YouTube um, yeah. for people to see. I think it's one of the better captures of, of what's really going on with the witnesses. And they kind of like flew under the radar for a lot of people. I only watched it. Uh, a year or two ago okay cool i'll put the link in the show notes of this episode so that way um people can watch it themselves and don't have to hunt for it or find it but i'll put it in there that's pretty cool um but i do understand like i totally can relate to the uh trying to give them the backstory when you go to therapy i've moved uh last year i in the span of like a year i moved three times um out, Mm -hmm. out of state each time and starting new health insurance and finding a new therapist is always fun um and yeah you're right it, it takes you a minute just to get the background and I'm, i feel like that'll be prog- yeah the progression will be you know dare i say worse uh quote unquote worse on worse um at every year that i get older because then that's another year in the the, the book that i have to tell them and explain another them. year of trauma yeah here's oh, another yeah. thing that happened like so it's it's but it's also, I don't know if you've experienced this, um, I'm sure you will, but is every time I've had to go to a new therapist, I kind of get proud of myself um, because as I'm telling the story, I am remembering how many times I've told the story. And every time that I've had to retell it, I'm a little less fucked up or choked up mm-hmm. even than the last time I had to mm-hmm. tell a therapist story. And I'm like, okay, we're growing. We're there's some progression here because yeah. the first time Absolutely. I couldn't even get it out. So <laughs> I'm proud of myself. Absolutely. And there's also that like, it's, it's validating, but also it can be very stark whenever you sit next to someone and you really tell them everything down to every detail because that's what you're supposed to do. And they are just dumbstruck. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. And you're like, oh right to normal people this is insanity yeah but because we were raised to be brainwashed we thought this was just totally normal this is just life this is how life goes um and yeah i always found that like um validating in a way also very sad um but also i mean there's also the nice validation because inevitably at some point the therapist is going to be like okay you you got through it though like you're you're either on your way out or you're out of it or whatever it is like that is still a massive accomplishment that many many humans can't do um so for that reason i also really appreciate telling that story to therapists because it is nice to have someone who went to school for like years and years be like wow that was horrible and you should have never gone through that Mm -hmm. the very first therapist i ever went to um I went to as kind of like a shut my friend up situation. Um, I had a really good friend that was like, hey, 
you're saying that one day you want to have a kid and as she was a mother already at that point two on her way to three kids and she was like uh no offense but you have a lot of shit that you need to work on before you ever are responsible for another kid um and she said it to me lovingly and but multiple times and finally Mm -hmm. I, i at the time i was living on uh or going to college and i was living close to campus and as any most people would know um part of that that's included in your tuition anyways is on uh campus therapy there was a therapist office you could go there it was you're already paying for it whether you use it or not and so i thought i'll go to this therapist that i thought at the time was a complete joke i thought going to therapy was foolish it's like why don't you just talk to your friends there's no point to go to this therapist and i said i'll go there it won't help me right and then i can tell my friend like mm-hmm. there see i went they don't they can't help me they don't know what i'm going through there shut mm-hmm. up don't ever bring it up again <laughs> And even like within the first appointment, it was like that that validation of this person saying like, hey, good for you. Like, holy shit, this is crazy. Mm-hmm. This is, mm-hmm. you know, and then also just, you know, not being educated on like the verbiage of things of just not knowing like you were in a cult. That wasn't a religion. Do you understand right. that you were in a cult? Um, do you understand that your right. current Correct. boyfriend is abusive? Do you understand your mother was abusive? These are the words like it's not oh your mother was passionate or your mother was just grumpy no no your mom was abusive oh your your boyfriend he's Mm -hmm. not just you know protective he's possessive like so her way of like correcting all those things in my mind i don't think i'd be where i am today if i didn't call a spade a spade you know and just grow from that and now i'm like everyone should go to therapy for anything it's so helpful like now i sound like my friend No, that, that's exactly the experience. I, I think I I think I had a similar experience, even though I was going for a different reason. Initially, I still had this thought of like, okay, but how are they gonna get it? You know, how are they gonna really get it? And it's like, yeah. oh wait, they go to school for a very long time just so they can get it. Like that's the point of the schooling is to get it. So <laughs> trust the experts, you know. Yeah. I think it's such a niche. It's it's unique in that Jehovah's Witnesses are not like every other cult they're similar but they are not exactly like any other cult hence this podcast and um mm-hmm. i think and they're certainly not like any religion you know definitely not and i think when i've gone to therapy it is the biggest hurdle i think at all even all these years later is explaining to someone who does not specialize unless you find a therapist that specializes in cults it is really hard to explain to them like the ins and the outs and like the mm-hmm. language and like nothing is simple you know like if if you're just all shipped and you're shunned explaining to a friend a therapist whoever that like no i can't just pick up the phone and heal right. things with my mom if it was that simple right. i wouldn't be in this situation like you can't just call her right. no yeah. i cannot <laughs> and and that's actually like that reminds me of um another time i had to go to therapy for my old job and uh, the therapist, one of the reasons that we used her at my agency was because she had a background in the same field as us. And it just, you you can't measure how nice it is to be able to just say certain words and have that person immediately understand like what that lingo means basically. Nice. And that's, I, I think like one of the other big barriers that we have going to therapy is like, I have to explain to you so many things that to me are just common language. I have to explain to you what this fellowship means. I have to explain to you what the difference between an unbaptized and a baptized publisher is. 
between you pioneers, hours, elders, governing body. Like it's, it is a lot, it is a deep culture. Um, and uh, it, there's just so much to it. There's another barrier is just getting out all of those words that we just say casually. Because it's like, oh yeah, I was serving some auxiliary at that time. And it's like, what does that mean? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Well, it means this, but it also doesn't mean that. Yeah. Or even funny. pioneer. I remember, I mean, I still do go through this of explaining that my sister either is or was, I'm not sure which, um, but at least from my memory, was a pioneer. And having mm-hmm. to explain to people what a pioneer is, because in, in America, pioneer does not mean what we mean when we say it they they right, think yeah. like they damn near think like a pilgrim like they they don't really understand right. what you mean with pioneer and so then the next word i can think of is like missionaries uh so but again yeah, missionaries yeah. doesn't mean the same as pioneer but that's the closest that the right. average person here like you know those people that like go to other countries and like they preach the word and like mm-hmm. that is their job okay that's a pioneer but just imagine it's like in your town like their sole right. job it's is like just doing yeah like just doing door-to-door stuff like they barely can hold a job because they have to put in so many hours a week in a month mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. do this thing like trying to like find like the next similar thing to explain what it is I'm like uh, they're like oh so your sister and lives in like Africa I'm like no no she's still here but I mean like <laughs> it's weird no, it's just like like conditioned poverty yeah pretty much <laughs> it's thing. It's, I mean I say it's the strangest thing but like once you're on the outside you're like yeah, how do I explain that I used to put in uh, 80 to 100 unpaid hours yes. for <laughs> years of my life? Just yeah. Because, because if I didn't, people would get mad at me. <laughs> yeah, it was what was expected. It. So I don't know. It's, and now it's crazy because I, I question if I could, you know, I've held down two full times before, but I only did it for, I think, like six months. And I mean, by the six months, I had lost a ton of weight, which was, I enjoyed that part. But I mean, I was exhausted. And I think Ooh, about, yeah. yeah, but that's like what pioneers are doing. And one of them, they're not getting mm-hmm. money for. Like, at least I was getting double full time, you know, so I was making a ton of money. But mm-hmm. I, I can't even imagine. I couldn't even make it a year. I was so tired. Yeah, it's, no, it's, it's it's too much, and it it just shows the length that like we are conditioned like nothing is ever enough. No, nothing. There's always the next thing. There's always more hours you can be getting. There's always more equipment you can or more videos you can show. It's, it's, <laughs> we're we're like beating into our heads that our absolute, you know, bending over backwards that is okay. Yeah. You can do better. A big thing about therapy, one of the questions I wanted to follow up with you on was, um, so therapy was was not put down by your family or your congregation? Like you went to therapy prior to leaving the cult. So that was that something that your congregation and family were okay with? Um, actually, yeah. Weirdly enough, um, I had my own internal, like, like, fears and uncertainties and also misunderstandings about therapy mm-hmm. but um and also you know okay maybe it's hard for me to say that I, they were okay with it um it was just a constant feature because when my parents got divorced when I was a kid 
I was just like by the Florida court system put into therapy. I've, I've been seeing a therapist off and on since like maybe five, six years old. Um, okay. And so, which is remarkable now that I think about it. Um, and so I think it was just kind of like, I, I hadn't gone in quite a few years when I went as an adult. Um, I didn't tell anybody except for a few close friends. And they were pretty supportive of it, but they were also like my age, much younger. So there's much less stigma around it. Mm -hmm. um, my dad, because of his background in addiction and all that, also was like, hey, whatever you gotta do, you gotta do. You know, like, um, and my mom uh, actually was super pro therapy um, and has gone for years or went for years. I don't know if she's still going. Um, yeah, it was, it was actually, pretty amazing um and i feel very lucky because uh i even had an elder's wife one particular meeting when i was just like at the bottom of my depression and i was feeling very like honest like i was just she was like how are you i'm like not good honestly like i'm here but yeah, i don't want to be here i don't i don't like i am struggling right now and she very candidly was like, you should talk to your doctor about medication. I'm on medication. It makes everything better. It's like I see colors brighter. It's like I'm a better servant of Jehovah. And I was like, whoa, that sounds cool. And so that's actually like what led me to take that jump ironically was that, um, I mean, she didn't recommend therapy. She recommended medication, but yeah. I'm, even I wasn't dumb enough to um, just skip go over that medication. Yeah, because my doctor was like, "Oh no, with everything you just told me, we're gonna need to have you in therapy to continue to get medication." And I was like, "Yep, that sounds right to me." One hundred percent. So I'm I, I feel pretty lucky. That. I definitely think that there is still a lot of stigma around this in my congregation. Um, but my congregation actually has a pretty decent amount of like millennials and younger, younger, at least last when I was there. And, uh, so I actually know of quite a few people in that age range, um, that, uh, that all have gone to therapy before, at least briefly for very specific things. Okay. That's cool. I'm happy that that's, that's your experience. I know. Who wants some, you know, a, a licensed clinician to tell, to be talking to your half in, half out child, um, right? And Absolutely. who's questioning their faith, you know, because that that voice of reason will be like, uh, maybe you should leave, maybe your parents should stop forcing this mm -hmm. down your throat. Um, so personally, that's why I think that my congregation and my parents were anti-therapy, but and it definitely, uh, I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt. I oh, no, definitely no. hear stuff like that, like for sure i heard people say that it's just i don't know i think at that point i had developed enough apathy about like what the congregation thought of me mm. that i don't know that i was even necessarily receptive to it if people were saying things like that but i definitely remember stuff like that as a kid i mean i remember things like therapy being likened to hypnosis and oh, people being like, you know, you should be, I'm being, yeah, I'm being 100% serious. I remember old, 
old boomer ass women just being like, you know, you know, they might try some sort of therapy, they might try some sort of hypnosis on you. You gotta be <laughs> careful, that's how the demons get in. Sure. Yeah, that's how it works. Yep. <laughs> what therapy have you gone to ma'am because i don't think that's exactly. how it works <laughs> we must be having different therapies yeah that's that's something different that's but that's amazing i'm glad i i hope um more people have that experience and especially as um we are like you said we are the generation that are more um comfortable talking about mental health and mm-hmm. so i hope that changes granted as that changes, the more people that are there. able to do it the more likely it is that a clinician will be like Hey, this doesn't quite add up. Maybe you yeah. should do some research. And that's all it takes. So in the end, it's kind of funny because the thing that they were afraid of happening, that they would say like, oh, you should go to therapy for. Is exactly why I think they should be going to therapy. Like, no, 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 that's, that's the point. Yeah. Y'all got to talk to someone who isn't a witness sometimes. That's it. Yeah. Someone with no skin in the game. But I mean, as, mm-hmm. as the generations that, you know, take you know they become elders etc and this like again the generation that is okay talking about mental health the problem with that is like there's going to be a wave of like people that leave because they went to therapy mm-hmm. and then they're going to say oh therapy's the problem and they're going to go right back to the mm-hmm. olden days of saying therapy's a trap don't do it they're just a joke they're you know so it's i think Absolutely. it's going to be a little bit of both they'll probably end up back to where Absolutely. they were before yeah i think i think you're definitely right especially since they're turning up the heat on the apostate thing with like the recent broadcast. Um, I definitely think there's gonna be an overall push from the governing body towards just total exclusion. Like, don't talk to coworkers, don't talk to schoolmates. If you're spending time with people outside of those things, they should be witnesses. Like, yeah. and that was definitely all the rhetoric, but I think we're gonna start seeing like a lot more focused rhetoric on that um, as an attempt to, to regain control. Yeah, I could see it. I mean, if they if it hasn't already started, it definitely will. I could totally see that. Mm-hmm. Um, when you went to therapy, um, going back to what you said on the uh, first half, you that's where you had your like your revelation about your abuse mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and your past. What so once you had that, you know, uh, I, I don't know what to call it other than like an epiphany or a flashback. Um, mm-hmm. What was what was your first response? Like, was it? disbelief did you go and question your parents like what did you do it was um it was a relief in a way but also like totally disbelief um I also think I kind of always knew Mm. and it was just about allowing my brain to go to the place where I could say yes it actually happened I was very accustomed to on the rare occasion that those memories would start to come up or I would start to question that, I would just shove it back down and compartmentalize. Um, so I definitely think that therapy just kind of opened that door just enough for me to be like, okay, this has really always been here. Um, so it was a relief in that way. It was also a total shock and dumbfounding. When you found out, did you speak to your sister at all, or your, your parents? Yeah, yeah. So I weirdly enough, like, I think before I was even able to necessarily process that for myself, I immediately was like, I need to tell people. Like, I I don't fucking know why, but that was what my brain said. So I like took my dad and my sister to lunch and I was like, hey, this happened. Um, And uh, my sister cried and she was shocked. My dad didn't show much emotion, but that's never been his thing. 
Um, my dad talked about how he had had a similar experience that he had never told us about, and then he never brought it up again. Um, okay. And we were just like, okay, <laughs> that was something. Um, but once I was able to do that, I guess you could say like, like validate it through other people as like, hey, this is a real thing that happened. Um, that's whenever it started to unravel for me because then it was, I don't know if I said this last time, but basically the thing that like the thread that fully pulled me out was like, okay, if Jehovah has known this the whole time, right? And Jehovah knows how imperfect humans are down to the, down to the uh, molecule. He has to know that uh, anybody who gets put in these situations is going to follow a pretty predictable pattern throughout their youth and young life. You know, people who have been abused oftentimes find themselves either hypersexual or non-sexual or perpetuates other sexual abuse. Like the, it's, it's impossible to overstate the long-term effects that abuse like that can happen on, that can have on a child throughout their life. And so when I like understood that, I was like, wait, if I know this and I'm dumb human and Jehovah's way smarter than me and knows this way better than me. Why am I being held to this realistically impossible standard? Yeah. Um, and it is, and, and I, at the same time, was feeling a lot of burnout in my congregation because I was doing everything. I was putting pioneer hours in. I was um, taking the service group out twice a week. I was basically like a, a ministerial servant light. And the only reason they wouldn't appoint me is because I continued to be honest about my masturbation and pornography use because I was afraid that if I didn't, Jehovah would smite me. So I, maybe not smite me, but I mean, you know, long-term sex. And so I did what I was told everyone else was doing, which was being honest. I later found out that like most of the guy friends I had that I appointed privileges were all just lying to the elders. Um, they were all masturbating pornography. But so I started feeling a lot of burnout because I was like, I am doing everything I can for the congregation while at the same time, I don't have any apps on my phone except for texting, calling, and JW library. I have every website blocked except for like stuff I need for school, work, and the witnesses. And I have like a couple friends and my dad have the password on my phone. I don't even know the password to my own parental controls. I did this for like a year and a half. I got rid of every video game that was triggering. I got rid of every movie that was triggering. I set up parental controls on the video game console so that I wouldn't like, like Stumble I into it. everything I could to try and prevent this. And it was still happening um, because that's how addictions work. And then I would tell the elders honestly, and they'd be like, okay, well, just so you know, like you still qualify for anything that doesn't explicitly say that you have to be not doing pornography for a year or more. And so that basically meant I could do all of the work as a minister also ran a pioneer, but I could not be appointed an MS and I could only serve as an auxiliary pioneer. Um, and yeah, and so I just started getting like, I was already so burnt out on that, that whenever I made the connection of like, okay, I'm being held to this realistically impossible standard mm -hmm. and I'm doing everything 
and nothing's happening. Like clearly my prayers are being answered here. I've been praying my entire life to get over this. It's not freaking working. Um, yeah. And that was kind of like what made me snap. It was, it was that. And then there was um, specifically there was a questions from readers that asked if suicide was a unforgivable sin. And this is like the line of reasoning that fully pulled me out of the witnesses. Um, because the questions from readers said that even though as far as we understand that suicide is a unforgivable sin, um, we have to assume that Jehovah knows the mental illnesses that led someone to make that decision. And they, while we can't say for sure, will very likely be resurrected is a very quick summary of what the questions from readers said. And then that for me was another mind blow moment because I was like, wait a minute, if someone can kill themselves, the only sin which cannot be repented for, because you can't wake up and be like, oops, sorry, I didn't do, I didn't mean to do that. Yeah. The only sin which cannot be repented for that a human can commit. If you're telling me that Jehovah can look at that and look at the big picture and look at mental illness and be like, okay, I see this person wasn't clearly wasn't working with the full deck of cards. I'm going to give them another shot in paradise. I was like, well, I'm not killing myself. I'm just watching porn and jerking off. So if Jehovah can see that, why can't he see me? And, and that was the connection that because of therapy, because of that revelation, fully, like it didn't snap me out for a, for a, a couple years, um, but it snapped me enough to just not care enough to go ahead and hook up with a coworker and get to fellowship. Yeah, I could see that rationale and I, I never saw that article. It's probably for the best at the time. I did not see that article because I definitely had suicidal thoughts around that time, but um, that's very interesting. I actually haven't brought it up on the next year that you read it, but I want to at some point to see if other people would potentially use that because to me, the whole thing, I'm sorry, I'm gonna, I am gonna. don't mean to get into a tangent. No, 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 go ahead. I, uh, I just thought about it a lot and it's like the whole point of the fellowshipping arrangement, the whole point of any kind of discipline mm-hmm. is it's kind of like when you have a child who doesn't yet understand that touching the stove will hurt them right. when it's hot. So you don't tell the kid, hey, don't touch the stove when the burner's on. You tell the kid, don't touch the stove at all, right? Because you don't want them to do the thing that will get them hurt. Right. The fellowshipping is supposed to be the same thing. Discipline in the congregation is supposed to be the same thing. It's supposed to be Jehovah saying, hey, I'm going to discipline you a little bit so that you don't do the thing I don't want you to do, which is lose your chance at everlasting life, right? But if there's Supposedly. something that you can do that you can't repent for that wouldn't disqualify you from everlasting life, then how does anything disqualify someone from everlasting life? How is Jehovah not able to look at every single human on the planet and go, hey, whatever combination of mental illness, bad circumstances, poverty, racism, whatever, for the last 15,000 years that humans have been on this planet, you're telling me he couldn't look at everybody and be like, yeah, no, y'all get a pass. Yeah. Because the earth has been pretty fucked up this whole time. Um, governments, wars, poverty. Like, how is there not 
every person on the planet given a free pass and, and that is a thing that like really solidified for me how bullshit the entire cult is because by their own rationale Jesus didn't say I came here to die for all humans and then in parentheses who repented <laughs> to the elders yeah he said, I was here to die for all humans so that all may achieve everlasting life not all comma the people who the elders like who are not currently disfellowshipped yeah <laughs> all these other Everyone. imperfect people making judgments on you know how other there people was, fail yeah there's not one human in the scriptures that jesus ever said hey this person doesn't get everlasting life not one not even judas yeah and yet and yet we have that threat held over us at all times lest we get the fellowship or lest we do something and not repent for it yeah and then armageddon comes in and we don't get our blessing yeah i think that you know a lot of i i would say dare to say all of us ha- um, that have left have made that decision on like hypothetically let's say this whole uh cult is actually real and it is the one true faith mm-hmm. um and armageddon comes and you know i'm cut out of the list because i'm disfellowshipped or i'm disassociated or whatever um we've all kind of accepted mm-hmm. our fate on that but my mentality has always been that um I'm going to be there. I, I I think initially I did have that fear because that's what they purposely put into your mind and they you know, scar you with it. Yeah. But I'm at a point now where I'm fairly confident that whatever happens after we die um, or whatever happens to this earth, if I'm still alive, like I'm going to be good. Mm-hmm. If, it's, if, mm-hmm. if it's based in God, not just like, you know, a nuclear war, <laughs> I'm, I'm confident yeah. that I'm good. I mean, when my dad died, um, the last thing that he said to me was, um, or one of the last things that he said to me was, um, I really want to see you again. And I worry about you and I want to see you again. And I said, don't worry, you're going to see me again. It's going to be okay. It'll be all right. And when I got home that day and I told, you know, at the time it was my boyfriend, but my husband um, about, you know, that, that deathbed conversation him and I had, um, I said, he's like, did you, were you like lying to him to make him feel better? Like what? Cause he's like, I think that he was asking if you were going to be going back to the cult. And I was like, I don't know exactly what his question was, but I answered it in a way that I truly believe is the truth. That if for some reason, mm-hmm. this nonsense is all real, I'm going to make it in Darmigan. I have trouble imagining that this all loving God will not read our hearts right. and read our history and read what happened to us behind closed doors and not think, no, Chev and Alex are good. And that, and that is, such an immense relief um and i think that that's something that i really hope that people can take away is the relief of that because we do really get our like big existential questions ripped out from under us when we leave the witnesses um and then we have to ask all the questions that humans have been asking since humans existed um and it sucks and it's hard and it's scary and that's part of why i'm back in therapy now um but yeah, I, I, I could say with 100% certainty, as long as we were all reading about the same, all-loving, all-knowing God, I, I don't think anyone has to worry, you know? I mean, just yeah. considering, I mean, with the exception of the most horrible, most horrible, I mean, like, no, actually, the people who I do think are going to worry are the only people who Jesus said would have to worry, the people who would claim to know him but not represent him. 
yeah. um, the Pharisees of the time, the governing body of our time, um, and the and the abusers who perpetuated underneath that. But I, I do still think that there's something to be taken away from the feeling that like if that really is what's going on, and even if it's not exactly what the witness is saying, if there is an all loving, all knowing God, how could they not look at the abuse? and the trauma and the brainwashing that we all went through and be like you know what y'all good yeah gonna pass. y'all are gonna get another shot to get this right without all of those things it's huge i i think we're right i think everyone is strong <laughs> maybe i'm biased but i think we're right <laughs> um your yeah, your uh abuser you had mentioned that um that person has now passed away and only got caught mm-hmm. because of non-Jehovah's Witnesses um, reporting him. Mm-hmm. Um, how did you find out that there were other Jehovah's Witnesses? Or, you know, obviously, like, there's the, I'm assuming, was a, a trial for the person that ultimately got them incarcerated. But how did you know that there were more besides yourself and this one other person? Oh, actually, so I don't actually know anything about the specific trial that got him arrested put in prison and then when he uh, was released he moved to another country mm-hmm. i don't i actually didn't have any contact with that because it was around the same time and probably the emphasis of my mom's divorce with that person um who whose children were also abused and so i just didn't hear anything about it honestly no one even told me what happened to the person um I found out years later at a witness gathering, um, I was talking to some friends and it turned out they were from the exact same hometown as my mom in Puerto Rico. And I'm talking like a hometown of like 1,500 people. Like the odds are crazy, but also not very crazy. Um, And these were people who were my mother's age who knew my mother as a child. And within just because we had a long conversation because I had never met another witness who knew my family back in Puerto Rico. So I was asking them so many questions about my family, my relatives, their names, their children, all that stuff. Um, And at some point the conversation came up about um, that person and they told me this is back in the 70s. They remember being children and he would come into the room and expose themselves and masturbate in front of them. And the story that I was told, because I was like, how did that person like walk out of the building alive? Um, And they said, basically, there was, I I don't know, I'm not going to speak to something I don't understand, but there was not a robust enough, um, like, criminal judicial system in Puerto Rico at the time to like, even really pursue someone that did that with the exception of like family and relatives just taking the person out and dealing with it. <laughs> right, um, which I'm not opposed to which either. <laughs> I'm, which I'm shocked that it didn't happen, honestly. But then the elders, the same thing, because the, the, this person was a witness at that time. They said that he had been disfellowshipped and reinstated multiple times at that point. It was just like a known thing about this person. Um, and everyone in the town had stories about it. And so, like, that was another one of the big reasons why the Crusaders documentary stuck out to me, because that was the first time that I had ever connected the dots of, like, oh, if this organization 
had actually taken steps to protect children, I probably never would have been abused because this person would have been caught and dealt with and put in jail, hopefully, um, before I was even born. Mm, you know, but because they weren't, because the systems weren't in place, and because for whatever combination of culture and stubborn people in their ways and victim shaming, whatever combination of those things which we all understand, mm-hmm. it still added up to no one did anything. Yeah. God didn't do anything. Um, and he went on to abuse. I, I have no clue how many more people after that, after me. That happens far too often with criminals as a whole is that you always hear some story of somebody that they already were doing something or did something or showed signs that they were on that path to hurting others Mm -hmm. and then it gets ignored or it gets downplayed minimized or Mm -hmm. they just don't believe Mm -hmm. the person and then there's people like you where it's like you know maybe if someone had done something about the issue years ago a day even prior Mm -hmm. you know this wouldn't have escalated or there wouldn't be a longer list of victims but (sighs) yep absolutely and that's and that's the thing i think i mean i just found out a few weeks i just found out like literally last week that someone i knew from one of my home congregations was abused by someone as a teenager who is still an elder to this day gives talks on the convention um and is viewed as like a local spiritual like superstar, like perfect family, big house, wealthy realtors. Um, and he's an asshole. He's an alcoholic asshole. And I know that because I briefly tried to date his daughter. Um, and he made that living hell the second I stepped through the door because everybody knew I was the bad kid of the witnesses. Um, and, uh, and yeah, I mean, I just, it, it doesn't shock me at all. But to find out another person who I've known my entire life, um, yeah. who is still serving as an elder, um, no one believed her, and she was too young to pursue it, and it's nothing ever happened, and nothing might ever happen. Um, she went to the elders. She told everybody. No one believed her. Be with us. That has to be extremely frustrating. <laughs> like beyond all understanding, yeah. that has to. If be I still lived in the state, I would, I would go say something. <laughs> and someone needs nice to. <laughs> yeah, I would be very kind about it. I want to <laughs> tell my dad. My dad has known this person since they were a child. You know, like I don't know. It just goes so deep. I don't. I don't know what to do. Sometimes. Yeah, and that situation where it's like it's your dad. Like your dad knows that you would not lie about something like this. Right. Someone right. would think. But. Right, but we're with the point I'm at with my dad right now. Um, I I really do think that it would be like a, well, dang, that's one bad apple. Yeah. <sighs> <laughs> we've we've had a few we've had a few emails. It's not one bad apple because he doesn't like that person either. I don't think he would be that dismissive of it. I think he'd be very angry, but I don't think it would shake him um, 
out. I don't. My dad, we've had a few different, you know, conversations recently. And I have, with no uncertain terms, disproven 1914, Darling Body. Um, what was the other big thing that we were talking about? There was something else. Um, and I mean, like, I'm not, I'm not saying that, like, like to boast. I mean, I just, I know my dad's standards, and I know how he yeah. raised me to do research. And it's not even remotely the same. He's sending me Cora uh, articles and blogspot posts to defend his thing. And I'm like, hey, dad, let me know when you get a .edu. Let me know when you get a, uh, a real professor of something backing what you're saying. Yeah. Um, so that's, and, and so that's where we're at right now. And he still, he'll talk himself in a circle with whatever thing that I said um, that we're particularly debating at that point. And then he will end it with, nothing you're going to say is going to shake me from believing because no other organization is using Jehovah's name, no other organization is preaching, and the earth is only getting worse. So that's like, I, I don't even know if that would be enough because at that point, he would do what I did and what everybody else does, which is, well, that's bad on that person, not bad on the organization. But of course, the answer, the, the, <laughs> of course, yeah, because... The question is, I want, and this is what I always ask people, the same thing involving police. I say, well, how many bad apples would it be enough for you to leave or for you to no longer be okay with it? Because I'm willing to bet whatever number you tell me, I can find you enough evidence for that. And exceed it. it. Yeah. And exceed it. If you tell me you need to read a thousand cases of Jehovah's Witnesses who were abused by elders and it was covered up, I guarantee you I can find you at least that. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. It that. So whatever number you say, I can give it to you. But that proves the point, though, because it's not about it, it's to them. It's not actually about how many bad apples there are. Yeah, and and that's I, I don't want to say that's fine, but I mean it kind of like tongue in cheek. Like that's fine if that's what you need, but like then you would say that, like. Just I I respect honesty, even if it's a honesty and something I don't want to hear. I respect people that just say like, listen, I've just I've been in it for so long. It's all I know. I don't Mm -hmm. really want to start over. My whole social um, life is based in and around this. And this is it for me, kid. Like, I'm just stuck in my ways that's fine. I mean, I because there's nothing I can do about that. And that's realistic and that's honest and like whatever i can go with that but the ones that are like no this Mm -hmm. is just real and that's why i'm here is because everything is done perfectly here and you're Mm -hmm. off your rocker Mm -hmm. if you don't believe it that's the one where i'm like what the hell are you talking about (laughs) yeah absolutely i I 100 agree i 100 agree like for people who are female um who that's just the life they have to live for whatever circumstance i respect Mm -hmm. that and i i I respect their resilience um but at the same time it's you, you can't have it both ways you know my my dad said things to me like he was worried about his addiction he was worried about his current marriage all these things that he says would fall apart and disintegrate were he to leave the witnesses um which is a result of brainwashing that's not actually reality because that's what they brainwash into believing has happened yeah um but those are all the things that he's saying it's like you can't have it both ways you can't tell me that this is the be-all, end-all truth, but then whenever I show you all the ways it isn't, you then say, well, I just really need this. Because if it's, 
if it is the be all and all truth, then that's worth not having a relationship with your son over. That's worth giving up all these things in your life over. But if you're gonna then fall back and be like, hey, you know what, maybe it isn't the truth, but I just really like it. Well, then you're just choosing those things over your family at that point. Like you're just at that point showing that, hey, the effort isn't really worth the reward for me in that case. And I just, I can't accept that. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm glad your abuser's gone. I mean, it's one down, plenty more to go. <laughs> Unfortunately, nope, there's, there's not a shortage of them. Um, you also mentioned um, in the first half about, you wanted to talk about um, code switching and that it's got, mm-hmm. it runs parallel to children of immigrants. Yeah, I, I can, let me think of where we were with that. Yeah, that was one of the things also that weirdly enough, like I listened to a lot of podcasts and that was one of the things that helped me to look at the witnesses a little bit differently. This is long before I actually was to fellowship either. Um, was just recognizing that like, hey, there's some like built-in trauma associated with this. And like you said before, it's all about the language and the vocabulary. You know, once I learned what code switching was, um, which is, you know, the ability to act and think and talk one way with one group of people. And then whenever you go to that other group of people who are different, you kind of change your mask and you're now fully different with those people. Once I heard that language in reference to children of immigrants, which I also related to as a child of an immigrant, it wasn't a stretch for me to then be like, oh, I do the same thing with the witnesses though. Like I do the same thing with my worldly friends at school. I do the same thing with my mom for the time period that she was not a witness and all the friends and family we had up there. Um, And uh, one of the things that really stood out from those podcasts talking about that is how much trauma that instills in your brain and also the damage that does to your self-esteem because basically it trains you to believe that either there is no real you or the real you isn't attracted to anybody else or is not valid to anybody else. So you have to constantly be putting on a mask between people to please everybody. Um, And the long-term effects of that are very dangerous, very, very um, damaging. Um, But the the parallels are still pretty uncanny and I would love to do more research at some point and draw more parallels. But basically that, it's this whole notion of like, same thing with me as a Puerto Rican person. I remember going to school and bringing my mom's home cooked food and little and kids making fun of me for how it smelled. Mm. That is the exact same thing as me going to school and trying to bring one of my books, like literature from the congregation, and kids making fun of me for that. And so you have this split that ends up happening in a young person where it's like, well, no young person doesn't want to be cool to their friends, right? Right. But no young person also, I mean, this is what they're raised with. This is their whole life that they know. So you end up either hating one and loving the other or just code switching. Just putting on the mask for one, putting on the mask for other. Who cares which one is real? Yeah, but with that same point, um, how does that affect you, like, with, like, 
finding your identity. Like, who cares which one is real? I mean, you do. Right. (laughs) No, you're exactly right. And that's something that I had to face when I left the witnesses was like, I don't even know who I am. I know the faces and the masks that I put on for people. I have an inkling of the things that I actually enjoy doing. But part of the work I had to do in therapy around that time was just building self-esteem, just recognizing myself as a human and sitting down with myself and deciding what I like and don't like. And the people who I like and don't like, um, as opposed to, like you said, just you know what everybody else around me needs. Um, but it was a significant hurdle to find that. I will definitely say it took a lot of work. Do you feel like you found that on your way out of the cult or only after you had left it? I would say both. I think I definitely started that path on my way out. Um, and that was instrumental to me leaving. Um, however, the, the bulk of the work wasn't really possible until I was out. It really wasn't just by exposure, yeah. you know, an environment. But I, I definitely think that I was able to at least get the ball rolling. Uh, which I'm very grateful for. Good. And then, like, since then, since leaving, um, obviously, like, we know, like, your mom went in, um, your sister and your dad are still in. Have you, Mm -hmm. you may have mentioned this, I can't remember, but do you have anyone that has left that, like, you have contact with? Um, In terms of family or friends? In general, like, are you just doing it all solo or do you have anyone at all? Actually, I, I have been really lucky. I've, I've met a few people who I knew as a teenager who were all out, and um, most of them are doing great. Uh, and like, I, it's been such an amazing help. There, I don't know too many people who are quite on the level I am in, in terms of like, I want to be an activist and I want to actually put my story out there. But I do know a few people who are disfellowshipped and able to recognize like, hey, that was fucked up. Um, yeah. That we all went through that. We can all laugh about the stupid times that we did in there. And uh, at least as far as I can tell, they might not necessarily view it as a cult and instead just view it as just like, not for me, um, which is great. That's, that's fantastic. I'm, I'm, I'm very happy about that for those people. So yeah, I would say, but, but at the same time, it's also maybe three people max that I can really call and be like, hey, I'm really struggling today. Um, and I need to talk to someone who actually understands who is actually there for it. Yeah. Um, but I would say in total, I know maybe about a half a dozen people um, who have since been able to escape and we've reconnected and we keep some contact. Uh, and it's nice. It's nice to be able to connect to people who at one point I would like think poorly of because they're disfellowships or because they're doing something else and now and now I'm just like yo man you got a kid you got a wife you got tattoos you got a career good for you like (laughs) you're living life I'm so happy for you you know like someone who 10 years ago I you know would have been disappointed in that and heartbroken over it yeah now I'm like good for you homie fuck yeah (laughs) (laughs) I know it's so weird live your life I do know a few people though, and this is the really fun ones where I really want to like pick their brains sometimes. 
I know a few people who I know for a fact are uh, either Pimo or like fully out and they just show up the meeting sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're not big fellowships and I'm always like, how are you getting away with that? Like, I fuck yeah. with it, like I, I, I'm cool with it, I'm good for you because I wish I would have done the exact same thing. Um, but how are you doing it? I'm really, I'm really jealous almost. <laughs> um, I have a cousin that I could ask um, because that's what she does. Um, she's been baptized since we were all really young. Um, and not to like get into the nitty gritty of her private business, but she's blatantly does things and, and not, not secretively. I mean, like I'm talking like it's on her Instagram blatantly is living a life. Yeah. Lives a lifestyle that, mm -mm, you know, uh, and, and same for her husband. Um, you know, they're not divorced because obviously Joe's witnesses, but they both are living a life that would be very much not okay. And, um, Mm -hmm. more power to her. Love it. And, I, I would have to, I'm going to ask her next time I talk to her on the phone of like, how the hell are you and your hubby not disfellowshipped because of yeah, blank, blank, and so blank? I'm going to assume and, 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 that it's because of the inactiveness of like, you're there for the mm-hmm. memorial. Yeah, maybe there's a month or two where you're consistently going to all the meetings and doing the Bible study, mm-hmm. but then they don't see you again for eight months. Right. So right. that's my and, assumption. And, and it definitely... I, I, I kind of wish I would have figured that out sooner. Because, <laughs> right, me too. I mean, I, I know I know there are a lot of stories of people on XJW who like the elders will genuinely chase them down. But I even, even the most bold elders I've ever met, if someone was just like, no, I don't want to meet with you. Yeah. I don't know what they would do about that. Like, based on other recordings of episodes that haven't been released yet i think that's the way to go about it because every time someone tells me that in these interviews i'm like fuck i did it the wrong way because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. they were just like no i went i told them one time like hey i'm out i'm now inactive don't look for me and then when they mm-hmm, called and mm-hmm. texted and emailed and said hey let's have another meeting to talk this over I just didn't go and now they're considered inactive and the only difference between their narrative and my narrative is I went to probably I think like after my initial telling the elders like hey I'm out of here um I went to like two or three elder meetings not kingdom hall meetings elder meetings and talked to them about it and explained ignorant like naive me I explained to them like hey this is why Mm -hmm. this whole thing is bullshit and I think because I naively thought if I explain this to them maybe they'll have an epiphany wrong um I should have just left yeah I, dumb I should have just left because I think that's the no, only would... reason I'm considered disfellowshipped instead of disassociated yeah I I, I I feel exactly the same way and it's, it's because and this is like this is why I feel like a sucker um yeah me too. like I genuinely feel like we really were instilled with pretty good values witnesses for the most part Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of like honesty, clarity, respect, yeah. you know, and I did, even though I knew I was like, they're going to fellowship me and I'm going to go do whatever the hell I want. And this See is the way my life is going to go for the next <laughs> few years. Um, I still was like, I owe it to them. I need to be respectful of the arrangement. I need to be honest. I've never not been honest. So this is just the last bandaid that needs to get ripped basically. Um, and I, I, to this day, can't fathom why 
I did that. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's just because I was fully, <laughs> I was fully brainwashed. I was fully brainwashed, and yet still, it's hard to look back and be like, "Wow, why, why did I?" I, I had a friend who, who's a MS who said, "You're the only person I've ever met who calls their own shots," um, and I've always like that has been a struggle for me when I was a witness for so many years because there would be so many things that no one else knew about and I would be like hey gotta say something same dumb in hindsight what (laughs) What were we doing why were we doing that dumb (laughs) so dumb because you're right like you were you mentioned earlier um you had said earlier about how the only difference between you and all the other you know guys that had privileges in your congregation is you were owning it and they were keeping it to themselves yeah. i experienced the same yep. thing when i was younger and i i was like i know you're doing the same thing because we went on double dates with these dudes together you know mm-hmm. and when i when i went left into this room you went right into this room and the only mm-hmm. difference between you and me is i was like hey i'm gonna tell myself and i just left you out of my story i just said it was just me and this guy but you were there yep. too you know, and yep. I'm sure they were shitting bricks when I was telling yep. on myself or getting reproved because they thought, well, oh my God, did she say I was there too? I never did, but you know, I knew that they were there. Oh, I did. <laughs> I oh, said some people a couple times, man. I'm so embarrassed to say. I'm so sorry. <laughs> it's part of your honesty. So sorry, but I fully believe that it was the right thing to do. I did. I'm so sorry, but I. I snitched on people quite a few times, man, that sucks. But it, it was just like, kind of like, hey, if I have to do it, unfortunately, everybody does, you know? Or so I thought. Mm, <laughs> you know? Or so I thought. I had a conversation, I don't really remember why this came up, but I had a conversation with my husband the other day about the uh, the space of snitching and tattletelling and getting everyone in trouble because he was very much like, I wouldn't tell on myself. I wouldn't tell on anyone else. They could question me in that room for, you know, 24 hours and I wouldn't say a word. And he was explaining like when he was in school, there are plenty of times that like uh, people would get caught for under drinking, blah, blah, blah. He wasn't raising the truth, but just in general. And he would mm-hmm. get, he would get questioned. Like, were you there when this happened? He's like, I would not say a word. And I was like, I mm-hmm. get where he's coming from, but the kingdom hall and the organization has such a product of like, tell on everyone like aren't like if you don't tell right. on sister so-and-so and we find out that you know you're gonna get in more trouble right. because you could have said something or it's if it's either that Absolutely. like self-preservation or you're coming from a place of well aren't you worried about her you know everlasting life if right. you know she's exactly. stumbling and she's falling why would you not lovingly tell on her so that she can be helped? So no matter how you think about it, they come at you from these two angles where you feel like I should tell on them so that yeah. they can get help. No, absolutely. Yeah, and one of the times that I really had to love someone, um, I went out with a group of friends and we all got crazy at the club. It was pretty fun. Looking back, it was a great time. I'm so sad that I let my uh, stupid conscience get in the way of that. But... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I I was telling someone else about what happened, laughing about how funny it was, and they were like, "Oh my god, now that you told me, I have to say something." And then I was like, "Oh shit, you're right. Now I have to say something." And then it just turned into this like, "Oh shit, we're gonna everyone's gonna get knocked if someone doesn't come forward first. 
And uh, yeah. Oh my gosh. And the next That's thing so you know, I was, on, I was on the phone with multiple elders' bodies in the next few weeks from multiple different congregations, telling my side of it. Um, and and just trying to like basically because then they kept saying why didn't you leave why didn't you leave why didn't you leave and i think i'm i was pretty well able to play the card of listen i i can't leave people who are that inebriated just in the street you know just just in the street of, of downtown big city alone on a friday night at two in the morning um I can't do that. Like I was at the time, I was a, a paramedic. I'm like, I cannot leave someone on the side of the road who can't protect their own airway, who can't, who can't <laughs> keep themselves awake, not choke on their own vomit. Um, and that actually, thankfully, saved me. Weirdly enough, <laughs> like they were like, yeah. oh yeah, all right, yes, I guess I guess we see that, yeah. Mm. But I still got a little bit of shit for not coming forward immediately. It took me like a week. <laughs> Which is faster than I've ever told on myself. I mean, very rarely did I ever snitch on even myself within a week. So that's still pretty fast. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was quick with it, man. I don't the the <laughs> idea of, you know, like you guys are all having a good time out there, having fun, and then a week later, they're all being pulled into the room and getting chastised mm-hmm. kind of makes me think to the many mm-hmm. times me and my um, little sister have discussed, we have this this feeling of doom that never leaves us 24 7 365 because of the cult where you're constantly mm-hmm. waiting for the rug to be ripped out of you like when you get really right, happy absolutely. and everything's going well and then something fucking happens and mm-hmm. i feel like and i've never really been able to pen i mean i, I blame 99 of my issues on the cult but um i've never been able to pinpoint where is that sense of doom coming from and i've always kind of attributed to the fact that it's a doomsday cult so you're constantly thinking that the you know the sky's mm-hmm. falling chicken little um but i think it's also that that I think moment you're right. right there I, I think you're i think you're very right because i even as a witness i honestly wasn't too concerned with the doomsday stuff honestly um i know that's not the case for everybody but i was like hey it might happen in my lifetime it might not it might not I don't yeah know. you know like i didn't really put much thought into it so it for me i i don't think that i because i can relate to that extremely but i don't think i ever really was imagining like jehovah's gonna reach down and see me watching porn or something because <laughs> armageddon's happening and it's gonna be like oh you were watching porn during armageddon yeah You're done for. that's what i was that's what i was afraid of as a kid but when i got older no never about that it was just is someone gonna see me am i gonna get in trouble am i is someone going to um tell on me for something i did years ago is someone gonna tell on me for something i told them in confidence um is like am i gonna do something and not even realize that it's bad and then someone's gonna tell on me like that was always there to this day i still have like a pit in my stomach and the tightness of my chest whenever someone says like hey come back to the office hey oh. meet me here and talk hey we got a chat like yeah i need to tell you something when you get home mm-hmm, mm-hmm, tell mm-hmm. me now <laughs> every single time because yeah i remember like a perpetual theme throughout my life was always the roller coaster with the up and down so i'd be doing really good in the congregation and like 
I even got appointed regular pioneer one time and that lasted like two months. And then like something would happen and I would plummet again. And I would have to regain all my privileges and climb all the way up again. And then something would happen. And that was just like literally my life for uh, my, my entire life. Yeah, to this day. I love that you said that because Thursday I was at uh, my work and my, I guess we could call her my supervisor. Um, she said, hey, do you have a second? And that, my heart, just the tone, and she was like whispering. My stomach, mm-hmm. I think, flipped and turned into like several knots. And I was like, uh, yeah. And she was like, okay, when, as soon mm-hmm. as you, you have a moment, can you go and meet me in the side office? I wanted to puke and shit myself at the same time. (laughs) And all she was telling, and all she was telling me was like, Hey, I put your name up for this, uh, this promotion thing that they're going to be rolling out soon. And I said that you should do it. And I, she just didn't want to say it when there's all my peers are around because then it's like, I put Chev's name up for it and none of you other people. So she just was whispering to be like, Hey, let me just tell you in private. And I immediately thought I, I, and what's weird about it too, is like, I have done nothing ever to get fired or written up or anything. So I was like, what I was even nervous about, I don't know. But I think it's like you said, it's just like, oh no, why why do I have to go in the side office? For what, what did I do? What did I do? that exact thing happened to me like two weeks ago. I was shitting myself. I'm like, God, how are they gonna fire me already? I just got hired here. They're like, hey, we wanna go ahead and train you for this promotion. You're like the best candidate we have. We know you just started. And I was like, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> thanks. Let me just, uh, I'm sorry, I, I already swallowed seven Xanax. Hold on. <laughs> yep, 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 exactly, exactly. I already, oh. uh, I already took a fat rip of my uh, weed pen. <laughs> yes, it's a must. I have a little thing that I got years ago, and my therapist was 100% right. Um, but I'm going to share it just in case anyone else goes through this. Like she said, um, sometimes just knowing that you have access to your Xanax will calm you down. It's not even mm-hmm. that you need because I was, I felt like I was, I was on a. I was on a downward spiral. I can't say downward spiral where I think I was relying on it too much, and it was starting to concern mm-hmm. me because addiction does run on one side of my family. So I'm really highly alert to it, and I told her like, I think I need to cut back. I mean, if there is something wrong with me and I cannot control my anxiety, I need to deal with that. What is that? I don't need to keep taking Xanax mm-hmm. for it. And so she sent me this link for Amazon, and it's like a little. It looks like it's a keychain. You wouldn't even know something's in it. Um, but inside of it is where you can hold like two or three of like, let's say like your allergy medicine or multivitamin or mm-hmm. Xanax in my mm-hmm. situation. And um, she's abundantly right there. That was pre-COVID even. So this was like several years ago. And mm-hmm. to this day, it's not even that I take it. It's that I know in mm-hmm. my mind, it's in my bag. And that alone calms me down a lot of times. Absolutely. Yep. Yep. It's the same thing for me. I mean, like with, with my weed pen, it's like, sometimes it's nice just to know that like, Hey, if it gets to be a too much, I can just step outside for a few minutes Yeah. and come down and recenter and feel how, uh, non-traumatized people are supposed to feel. <laughs> yeah. Normal people. Yeah. It's mm-hmm, some, mm-hmm. you know, other people, there's something for everything. It's, you know, it's weed pen, it's CBD oil, it's Xanax, it's yep. breath of fresh air, it's your cigarette, whatever, good, mm-hmm. bad, whatever. Some, everyone has that thing where it's like, 
I need to step aside and need to check myself because I'm not going to yep. be able to function in this conversation if I don't get it back down to some functioning level. And I feel like my heart Absolutely. rate and even like, I don't know about you, but like I get really hot. I can feel my ears getting mm -hmm. really red, um, which makes it worse because when I was younger, uh, people in school or like my first serious job um they'd always say oh Jeb, your ears are getting really red which only makes it worse oh. <laughs> only makes it so much like, <laughs> yeah. and so now because i know when they said it i know how my body felt um i know mm -hmm. what it's happening my chest will get red and you know if i'm wearing like a v-neck or something i'm like it's all splotchy i'm like oh no and i just <laughs> further just further escalates the anxiety that's happening it's a mess we're you know we're trying <laughs> we're trying to survive yeah, we this. Are. We're, we're all we're all <laughs> scraping along there hey i'm happy that i was able to figure that out though at least that's mm -hmm. that part about that constant fear in the back of your head because that's actually really helped for relationships friendships True. just to be able to occasionally and i don't i don't try not to be like needy with it but just to be like hey just so you know completely unrelated to you i have this thing yes. so if you say to me hey can we talk when we get home i'm, I'm gonna, gonna spend every second up to that point thinking that i'm gonna get fired lose a friend lose my life get divorced like Mm -hmm. Everything possible that could go wrong, my brain is going to immediately because that's what our brains are trained to do. And yeah. that alone has helped a ton to just, just be able to say front. that out loud and yeah. be upfront. And then if, if, you know, that doesn't necessarily mean that everybody's perfect about it, mm -hmm. you know, that people aren't like, oh, shoot, I forgot that's a thing for you. I'm sorry. Um, but it's just being able to say it out loud is nice because then you can go back later. And be like, hey, sorry, I didn't mean to freak out. I uh, remember that thing I told you about how when people say they didn't talk to me, I get freaked out. You know, it's just just opening up that door for that communication makes it so much easier. Yeah, I agree. I'll have to, I feel like I've told that to like my closest friends um, and my husband, of course, but outside of that, like I'm just kind of like, I'm just crazy. Yeah, absolutely. And, and there is no way to overstate the value that that could potentially have on someone. You know, I mean, it's, it's, it's hard for us to talk about, but just putting that out there might be enough for someone to be like, hey, those people knocked on my door the other day. I think I'm going to not call them back. You know, Please don't. <laughs> like, like, it's absolutely like there's the value in that is, is always there. Um, mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm really happy that more people are hearing about this and asking questions. And non-witnesses are just listening and being like, wow, that's crazy. I don't want to do that. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. It's bringing awareness of what to run away from. Um, you mentioned mm -hmm. earlier, though, about um, when you were telling on yourself and where other people were also masturbating and not telling on themselves and they were still keeping their privileges. It made me think of like, you know, that's a, dare I say, a, a smaller version of it. But like, imagine if you're someone that is doing something abusive or dangerous, like, uh, you know, the issue with uh, child sexual assault or sexual assault in general that happens within the organization. And these people still mm -hmm. have privileges. What a scary thought of like, they're doing it too. They're just not telling on themselves. And that's why they're still an elder. And they could be, right. and you're they're right. in this position Absolutely. of trust and authority and behind closed doors or it's, it just kind of, not that we were not all aware of that already, but I just want to like put emphasis on like, that is why it goes undiscovered for so long. That is why people don't believe when victims speak up is because their mentality is, well, that's an elder. 
he would never right? like he would Absolutely. never be in this position right. if he was a because bad guy the qualifications say that they shouldn't be able to do this so mm-hmm. why would i doubt that you know exactly. people are checking this jehovah is certainly uh blessing their decision right right or at least he's supposed to be <laughs> yeah he's supposed to be mm-hmm. <laughs> It's terrifying and it's a until they're they go about it a different way it's doomed to just continue like this there's not really a solution at this point so it's just going to keep happening and that's terrifying yeah yeah and i, I think there's definitely I, I i do give a little bit of credit to people who say things like hey that's that's every organization that's every religion um gathering of people where there's a where there's a power dynamic and i do think that's certainly true Um, However, that's kind of like saying, hey, I know there's this intersection in our city that has like a ton of accidents, but there's accidents on every street corner. So we don't really need to fix this problem. That's like a really dumb way to approach and invalidate problems, but we do that all the time for whatever reason, Mm -hmm. you know, but it's like, okay, just because this is happening everywhere doesn't mean you can't hone in on this thing. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, all people, you know, have a hard time running uphill if they're not in great shape. But that doesn't necessarily mean that you don't have a heart problem or a breathing problem. Right. You know, so just because the problem is prevalent doesn't mean that it can't be addressed or that it can't be worse in a specific situation. Absolutely. Well said. There's a documentary. I don't think I don't think it's new. I think I'm just out of the loop um, that I just watched. Um, that was about the child sexual assault that was happening in the Boy Scouts of America, and mm. as heartbreaking as that story was, I still walked away thinking, "Relig, where this is happening within a religion is worse," because yes, mm-hmm. the Boy Scouts of America is a place of trust. You're supposed to, you know, you're sending your children off with these people. You're not present. And you really are feeling like this is supposed to be making them better. It's supposed to be this reliable, you know, organization that everyone's heard of. However, I still think when it happens in a religion, it's worse because they're supposed to be the representation of God. Like, that's beyond yeah, trusting, like, your absolutely. neighbor. That's huge. You're in a place of representing God and you're hurting people still works absolutely 100 i agree i agree and then even within the perspective of representing god it's also this is an extremely family oriented religion it's, yes. it's you know we used to brag about how it's not it's not like other religions where the kids go to a separate church and they have a little playtime or whatever you know like we are all here living eating and breathing this which means that those individuals in the stressful positions who already represent God also have near unlimited access to anybody they want. Yeah. I mean, they can, they can go anywhere and just be like, I'm an elder, I'm going to be shepherding call. Mm-hmm. Doesn't matter if anybody's home, doesn't matter if they go alone or not. They just got to wear a suit. Very true. You know, like that, I agree. Like, I, I think it's, it's the, the representing God, but also the um, proximity to everyone old young children disabled people you know these people are meant but we're taught to give our entire life to this religion which means that powerful people within that religion have access to your entire life yeah the worst um i do have one last question for you 
um, which is always my last question, which is if you, if the listeners right now are physically in, mentally out or mentally questioning, um, what is something that you would say to them? I would say, if I'm speaking to someone who is what I am referring to as still playing the game, um, someone who's still mentally in it enough to like play by the rule, um, I think that that specific line of reasoning I brought up about like, um, would a loving God ever do this? I think that's a strong enough reason because we are at least on paper taught to worship God rather than men. And I I do think that there's an angle for a lot of people who are still mentally in or at least mentally questioning to dig deep enough to be like, man, the Bible makes it pretty clear, especially in the New Testament, like that love thing is infinite, that that acceptance and the everlasting life is for everyone. Um, there's no instances of uh, shunning in the Bible. Even even the one that they like to use, the prodigal son, the prodigal son wasn't shunned. They, in the account, it says that the father saw him from far away and gathered a party for him. Unless you're telling me that he was wearing a t-shirt that says, I have repented. (laughs) His father had no way of knowing whether or not he had repented from his sins, which aren't even really stated in the account. The prodigal son was never shunned. He was never disfellowshipped. He was never reinstated. There's no instances of disfellowship or shunning in the Bible. There's also no instances of humans being able to pass judgment on other humans, at least since Jesus came um, after the Mosaic Law. Um, There's no real instances of homosexuality being condemned in the Bible. And the Bible is just a a story, it's a a lesson story, which means every main point is told by multiple stories. There's no actual story of someone being homosexual. There's the account of the people wanting to rape all of the angels but that's not really a homosexuality story. That's a race story. I think there's, there's the one, no, what, what nations was it where they were like, na- the nations were like men lying down with men. Um, that was, so Nineveh um, did talk about that. And then Sodom and Gomorrah talked about that too. Mm-hmm. But Gomorrah, they made it clear that it was the bloodthirstiness of the people is what made that distinction. Um, I remember there was a, a few years ago, there was the the drama about uh, Jonah when he had to go to Nineveh um, and talking about specifically the bloodthirstiness of the people. And then with Sodom and Gomorrah, it was, you know, the way it was described as, was murderers and abusers and violence and I don't remember if it specifically said if there was um, homosexuality happening, but I, I, the point I'm making is I feel like the Bible, you know, there's there's 10 stories about not lying. There's 10 stories about not killing. There's, right. there's 10 stories about how Jehovah is love and that is the only thing that he is. Yeah. There's 10 stories about respecting your parents. There are 
no stories about homosexuality. There it's are not no on the Ten stories. Commandments. <laughs> it's not. You think that that would have been a, a thing, especially considering that we know that humans have always practiced homosexuality yes. in some form of non-binary gender identity, going back thousands of years. That's so correct. you're telling me at no point in the 2000 years that the Bible was being written to Jehovah think, hey, I want to put something in here about this if it's not okay. Right. Absolutely. At, at no point during that time did he say, hey, whenever someone does something wrong, um, we need to shun them from your family. Let me make sure I put a story in the Bible that illustrates someone doing that. It doesn't happen. Even when Paul talks about what, what they use as the foundation for this fellowshipping arrangement, um, Paul says it's someone who claims to be a brother who's doing wrong. Don't eat with this person. Don't greet this person. That doesn't say shit about the people who just don't want to be brothers. <laughs> what if what if you right. what if you were a Christian before in the first century and you're like, hey, I don't want to do this anymore. There's nothing about that. Nothing. Or just it, not even someone that doesn't want to be a brother. It's someone that wants to be remain your brother, be your friend, your companion, but just mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. practice their faith in a different way than you do show their respect Absolutely. to yeah, their creator yeah, me, in a different me, way right let me be clear i mean someone who claims to be a brother and claims to be a christian not claims to be family there's yeah no nothing. account there's zero accounts in the bible about family shunning each other as a matter of fact there's probably more accounts of unbelieving households where there was still respect and love shown to the unbelieving quote unquote family members yeah. There's, there's so many rules, despite the fact that Jesus always said, don't make up your own rules. And then he <laughs> said, don't trust anybody who says that they know when the end is coming, whether they have an actual date or not. And yet we have blindly followed this organization that does exactly that. They make up rules where they don't exist in the Bible. And they claim to know the day when no one else is going to know the day. And they claim to represent God when the only human who has ever claimed to represent God has been Jesus. Yeah. It's just, it's, so I feel like the, re the reason I answered that way with regards to those people, because I, when I was in, I read about the child sexual abuse and it broke my heart but I chalked it up as that's every organization, unfortunately. That's just imperfect people and Jehovah will fix that in the new system. I remember seeing elders and other people do things that were wrong and get away with it. But again, I chalked that up to that's just imperfect people. Yeah. I don't know that many mentally in or mentally questioning witnesses are willing to fully jump ship over those things. It's about just digging into what we already know because witnesses are actually really good at reading their Bibles. Read your Bible. It's it's there. It's all there. And if it doesn't match up to what the witnesses are doing, then that's the problem with the witnesses. And Absolutely. that I think is enough of a stepping stone for people to make their exit. And that's what I, I really hope happens. Yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot for them to make that call, but I hope, you know, 
piece by piece of listening to this podcast, doing their own research, listening to the advice from Absolutely. all of you guys that it'll help. Um, but yeah. Absolutely. And, and I think it's uh, the only other thing I want to say is that yeah. uh, it cannot be overstated how difficult it is to do this. Um, and I'm someone who's very familiar with difficult things. Um, and this is one of the hardest things I've ever done. And, and not just for the part of losing family, but for the part of losing the answers to questions that I thought I knew the answers to. Um, the answers that humans have tried to answer as long as we've existed. Um, we, we have a lot of those things. And, and thankfully, when we pull off the cold, we are freed from a lot of things, but it also leaves uh, a chasm in our self-esteem. It leaves a chasm in our senses, um, where we fit into the world, what happens after we die, whether or not there is something out there that cares about us or created us. It also opens up the door for politics, even though most of us have political meanings and just claim to be politically neutral, it's like, oh shoot, I gotta think about this stuff now. I gotta care about injustices in the world because I'm not waiting for Sky Daddy to come fix it all for me. It's, it's impossible to understate how difficult that all is. And I encourage and applaud anybody who takes even steps down that road. Thank you.